The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. At that time, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was hungry. The tempter approached and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become loaves of bread. He said in reply, It is written, One does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and made him stand on the parapet of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and with their hands they will support you lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Then the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their magnificence. And he said to him, All these I shall give to you, if you will prostrate yourself and worship me. At this, Jesus said to him, Get away, Satan. It is written, The Lord your God shall you worship, and him alone shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Temptation is a nasty little actor in the drama of human life. You know, it has this ability to make that which is bad seem good, and that which is good seems bad. It's like a small serpent that somehow works its way up into our mind and makes, you know, the really good things in life look like mom's overcooked vegetables, and the really bad things in life look like that golden Lamborghini dad always wanted. It's powerful and it's sneaky and it's a nasty little actor in the drama of human life. When it comes to depictions of the power of temptation, there's, there's really none better than that second chapter of Genesis, the story we just heard. The tableau is, is really, really easy to imagine for us. You know, there's that beautiful garden, and it's got that wonderful apple tree. It doesn't say apple tree in the scriptures, but that's how we imagine it. That wonderful apple tree in the middle. It's so beautiful and green with luscious red apples on it. And underneath, of course, there stands Adam and Eve in their, their lovely innocence. 
naked as jaybirds, it doesn't even matter. And of course, that in itself seems so beautiful until you notice wrapped around one of the branches of that tree, that snarling little snake, that serpent that's so nasty and subtle with its head sort of pointed towards Adam and Eve, hissing into the back of their minds the great temptation. And the temptation is, you know, not what we often think it is. It's not just a matter of, you know, God who's kind of out of the tableau, out of the scene, sort of saying, I'm God, I'm the big daddy here, and you better not disobey me. I told you not to eat of that, and you better not eat of it. It's, it and, and so the temptation is not really just disobedience. The real temptation is far deeper than that, and the text of Genesis lets us know what it is. What, what the tempter is saying, hinting, whispering, hissing into their ears is, something much more dangerous than just disobeying God. It's reaching for divinity themselves. The, the tempter is saying to them, suggesting to them, you know, hoping that, that they will understand that God is tricking them. That when God says he knows everything and God possesses everything and God has all power and they're just human beings, the tempter says, no, you're not. You're as good as God. If you just eat this fruit, you will know everything that God knows. You will see everything that God sees. You will have all the power of God yourselves and you won't need him telling you what to do and what not to do anymore. The temptation is to become gods themselves, to make themselves gods, to presume that they have all the knowledge they need, that their minds are so big and their hearts are so grand and they are so smart and so intelligent and so all-seeing that they don't need God because they're little gods themselves. What are they reaching for? What are they grasping for? From that tree, they're grasping for and reaching for divinity for themselves. We, and yet they are just creatures. They're just human beings. So you know that this is not going to go well. Once they eat of the fruit, you know, disaster befalls them. At their own hands, really. You know, God doesn't punish them so much as they realize, you know, how weak they really are, how humiliated they really are, how little they can actually see and know and love and control things. And maybe that's most powerfully demonstrated to them, not just by the fact that they now have to work, by the sweat of their brow they learn in their living, but far more importantly, by the terrible reality they witness when their own sons end up killing one the other. <laughs> That's what happens when we human beings presume we are gods. We end up killing one another. Disaster befalls us. And all because, all because temptation led them to believe that they were gods themselves.
that they can grasp what God has and eat it themselves and become gods themselves. That's the reality of that tableau of temptation and how nasty it can really be and really is in our human drama. There is, of course, on this first Sunday of Lent, a second tableau of temptation that in some ways is far more important than the first from Genesis. This one takes place in a desert and it involves, of course, Jesus himself. And to understand this story, you have to remember that this takes place immediately after Jesus' baptism in the River Jordan, where he hears and comes to know in the depths of his being just who he is. The voice from above, the voice of God, speaks to his heart and says, you are my son, my beloved son. From that point on, Jesus truly and deeply understands who he is and what his mission is in this world. He understands that he must be what? If he's going to fulfill his mission as God's only son, he must be fully human. And that's the temptation that he experiences in the desert. That tempter, that, that sneaky little snake, crawls up into his mind and says, Oh, Jesus, isn't it wonderful you're the Son of God? It's not so wonderful, however, that you're hungry. Hunger, ick, who likes that? It's uncomfortable, our stomachs gurgle, we feel weak. It's no fun to be hungry. In fact, it's really awful to be hungry. So Jesus, you're the Son of God. Turn these rocks into bread and feed yourself. What is the temptation here? That Jesus step back from his humanity and use his divinity to serve himself, to feed himself, to alleviate his suffering, his ache, his pain, his empty stomach. To step back from his humanity to cut corners, to take advantage of his divinity for his own good rather than to use it for the good of everyone else. Second temptation, Jesus resists the first. Second temptation is in some ways even more subtle and more sneaky and more nasty still. The tempter says, oh Jesus, isn't it wonderful that you succeeded and resisted the first temptation isn't it wonderful that you are the Son of God, though? You are the Son of God. You know that now. So let's stand atop the highest point anyone can conceive of, the parapet of the temple. And let's push God a little bit. Let's test God a little bit. Let's see if you really are the Son of God. Let's see if He really loves you as much as He says He loves you. Beloved Son. You know, if you're the Son of God, then if you throw yourself off the parrot of the temple to the earth below, you know, the angels are going to come and sweep you up and save you and protect you from harm because God loves you, doesn't he? You don't have to be fully human. God will save you in the end. 
He'll save your body. If you throw yourself off, you won't hurt. You won't die. God will protect you. So let's try it, Jesus. Let's presume on your relationship to God and his love for you. Let's see if God really will protect you. And if he doesn't, then, then you're nothing. Jesus sees through this temptation as well. He understands what's at stake here. He will not test God's love for him, which is in a way to deny it, to not trust that love. He will not throw himself off the parapet to see if his divinity will save him from his humanity. He will be fully human, 100% human, and he will not test God's love in that way. So he survives that temptation, resists that one. And then there's one more, one more. This one is really, really important as well. The tempter says, let's try a little idolatry here. So you're the son of God. How about you and everyone else just kind of adulation and worship you and say, oh, let's reveal to them who you really are and all the nations and all the peoples and all the kings and queens will come before you and you can have it all. The whole world could be yours. You're the son of God. You can do it the easy way. Save the world just by being God. Let everybody know. Show them your glory. Show them your power. Show them your divinity, Jesus, and everybody will come to you and the world will be as sweet as it was in that garden before Adam and Eve grabbed and ate that apple. The temptation here is really a subtle one as well. To uh, uh, Jesus to say, okay, I really am cool. I really am something. I really am the Son of God. Look at me. Okay, everybody, look at me. I'm the Son of God. And I can save you. And there's no pain involved. There's no suffering involved. There's no humanity involved. Let's do it the God way rather than the human way. And to this temptation of self-idolatry, this temptation to to broadcast his divinity in such a way that he doesn't have to be a human being in its fullness. He resists that temptation too, but the tempter's not done with him. He'll be back. As we all know, he'll be back when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he hears the voice say, come off of that cross, Jesus. You don't have to die. You're the son of God. What's different between this tableau and the first one? The first one, Adam and Eve are grabbing for divinity for themselves. In this tableau with Jesus, Jesus who is already God, is embracing humanity in its fullness and choosing to walk with us, accompany us, live with us, Love with us, suffer with us, rejoice with us, even die with us. Rather than play the divinity card and shortcut his humanity and shortcut his ability 
to be one with us. If he had succumbed to any one of those temptations, he would not have really been one of us, with us in all things. So I suppose there's a third tableau, and that's us. You know, all these years later, in one way, it would be easy for us to say, okay, we're just like Adam and Eve. There are first parents, you know, and, and we sin like them, and we have to, you know, work, gain our living by the sweat of our brow, and we have to live with the hurts and the pains and the aches and the breakups and the brokenness and the hatred and the war of being human beings in this drama of human life that we're caught up in. So, yes, we're very much like them. But that would be a mistake. Because something significant, something substantial, something foundational has happened that makes our situation altogether different. Yes, we are human beings. And yes, we have to gain our, our living by the sweat of our brow. And yes, we have to endure the rigors of human life with the ups and downs that that involves, and plenty of downs, of course. All of that's true. But now there is something very different at play in the great tableau of temptation in our lives. Now we have Jesus with us. Jesus, a human being. God who has come to us and let go of his divinity so that he can walk with us and support us and strengthen us and be with us and even die with us. And that makes all the difference in the world. When we talk about baptism freeing us from original sin, in a way, that's what we're talking about. Now the situation is different in our being, in our humanity, because God has come to us and lived in our humanity and has shown us how to love. We no longer have to grasp for divinity from, from a tree above. We no longer have to reach for it. Divinity has come to us. And instead of us having to reach and eat an apple from our own hand, this Jesus now feeds us with the bread of life and the cup of salvation. This Jesus gives us himself. He shares with us his divinity. And he makes us one with him. And we become part of his body and part of his blood. And that makes all the difference in the world. For now we are no longer alone in our sin, no longer alone in our pain, no longer alone in our hunger. God is with us. And that makes all the difference to the world. And to that reality, to that reality, especially when Jesus gives us himself in bread and wine, in love in suffering, in grace, in joy. To that reality, all we can say is amen. Amen. God is now with us. Amen.